What is marriage? An interview with Patrick Langrell. So I'm joined today by Patrick Langrell, who's the Officer for Engagement and Public Affairs uh, for the Institute for Ethics and Society at the University of Notre Dame. So thank you very much, Patrick, for joining me. Thanks. Great to be here. Not a problem. So, of course, the marriage debate is something that's kind of swelled up quite a bit here in Australia in light of the recent Supreme Court decision in the United States. Uh, so I guess the first question that I wanted to ask you about that is that there's kind of two sort of worldviews about marriage. Um, the prevailing worldview, and I think the one that kind of won the day in the Supreme Court decision in the United States, is a more, uh, for want of a better term, kind of romantic view of marriage, which views marriage as, uh, as a union between two people, but it more being about, I guess you could say, again, for want of a better term, kind of the, the, the loving relationship uh, between the two. While there's another view, which I guess you could say is more of a, uh, a traditional view, which is the conjugal view, can you explain to me the, the two, those two different points of view and what exactly is the difference between them? Sure, no, it's a, it's a great question. And um, I think, uh, and it's sometimes you'd be helpfully explain those two views there, but most people probably don't initially enter this debate with an understanding that there are actually two very different views. For most people, you're right, it's, it's, um, it's an understanding of marriage which is very common amongst young people. Um, it has a large track record over the last 30 or 40 years. It's largely one that sees marriage as being about the affection and intimacy between the, the consenting adults. Um, and it's it's one that sort of sees marriage more as sort of a capstone, a sort of like we've made it. It's it's uh, you know this is our achievement. Our relationship is now being recognised and dignified before family and friends. Uh, and and that's a you know a, there's many things that are good about that. We all think that marriage is certainly got to be about intimacy and emotional union and the love between um, the couple. So there's it's hard for many people to see why anyone could be opposed to that. You know, love is love. So why why not? You know, why not get behind the push for same-sex marriage? Um, and that can be very appealing, but I think you're right to show that um, that uh, view, that sort of affection, couple base, I guess a soulmate sort of style view of marriage um, is relatively modernly quite a modern view and rubs up against, uh, you know, an older quote-unquote traditional uh, view of marriage that tends to see things like the gender complementarity of men and women and it's natural uh, orientation towards bringing kids into the world and family life um, and uh, you know certainly there's been many authors and writers and speakers who talk about that view they might use words like the conjugal view or, or base it on a sort of idea of comprehensive union but whatever word you use um, whatever sort of label you put on it it largely sees all these things like mums dads kids family life as basically um, hanging together in this general form of life, which is very natural um, to the, you know, the human race and is quite non-controversial in many ways uh, and tracks across wide cultures. It's based upon pretty much three very simple ideas at best. I think basically that uh, one, the overwhelming majority of us are uh, you know, attracted to the opposite sex by engaging in an act of love that often makes new life. Newsflash, sex between men and women makes babies, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is that, um, you know, while individually people might decide whether or not they want to reproduce, as a culture, it's really only those places and those communities that have figured out how to successfully manage the procreative implications of their male-female sexual relationships that have survived long enough for leave us to trace themselves today. Um, so society needs babies. 
Um, and then the third truth it's based on is that, you know, kids need a mum and a dad. You know, mothering and fathering, being a mum, being a dad, is just different, unique and complementary ways of bringing up a kid in the world. So those are those two sort of different views that you see pushing up against each other, often left unspoken uh, in the current debates over same-sex marriage. I think when you draw those two views out, you're able to actually engage a little bit better in some of the more substantive issues that need to be discussed. Mm-hmm. I guess it's all well and good to see these as two different views on marriage. But of course, the debate about marriage today is really about whether the government should be recognising X type of marriage. So whether two people of the same sex can be considered a marriage and so on. But are both views equally valid when it comes to government regulation, you could say, of marriage or the government stepping in and speaking about marriage? Yeah. Well, it's helpful, I think, to think of why the government gets involved in anything really to do with our personal lives you know the government doesn't tell us uh what movies we should go and see on a tuesday night with which friends it doesn't tell us um you know uh, who we should go out to the club with and what's required there so government isn't involved really in most aspects of our life most day-to-day aspects of our personal life i mean in certainly many indirect ways they are but in most direct ways the government steers clear and that's pretty obvious because there's no justification for legal or governmental intrusion, right, in private affairs. And that's a a fairly good principle. Um, The government's typically much more involved in in contracts or affairs of businesses or corporations or people that have external impacts on other people uh, and on other organisations and other ways of life at a sort of public level. So when you think about that, you wonder, well, why has the government been traditionally involved in marriage and what would justify being involved in let's pick these two views well under the popular um you know widespread gaining momentum view of marriage being about a sort of soulmate um capstone affection based model it's really difficult to actually see why the government is involved in regulating basically our private emotional lives it isn't clear to me what public impact it has on giving some sort of you know stamp of approval on our relationships and I really think historically there hasn't been the reason why the government has been involved in you know, the marriage business, whatever you want to call it, the institution. Um, it's traditionally been involved because it knows quite well that these relationships between men and women are not private in the way that many of other relationships or friendships or common life is. That they often bring into the world new little baby boys and baby girls. And that the best way to bring them up is not to... Uh, just basically do the Spartan thing and figure out whether they survive on a hill overnight uh, or have large amounts of people basically getting rid of their kids at an early age, whether through abortion or abandonment. But the best thing to do is to try and create a culture where the men and women who love each other, who bring children to the world, are there. And that's because it's a biological fact that, you know, when a baby's born, mother, as many have said, is always going to be pretty much close by. That's a fact. But whether there's going to be a father whether he's going to be nearby, whether he's going to stick around for the long run, that's a cultural question. And that's something, and that's not to say that men are just inherently, you know, they just run off and women always, not to buy into that, but you just got to think of these are ways of encouraging um, good civil communal life. And that marriage is a pretty obvious way of, a very low key way, basically, of the government trying to, to do that. Most of the work of marriage is obviously done by the married couples themselves and their family. But the government plays a, you know, a subsidiary role through its law, a helpful role, a helping role, a mediating role in encouraging forms of life that give the best um, to our kids and, and, and to the 
wider common good. And that's really the reason why the government's sort of traditionally been in, in involved in regulating the sort of affairs about marriage and laws. Mm-hmm. I think that, that question about why the government's involved um, is slightly different today when, when it's discussed because it seems to be a matter of equality. That's the, that's the catch cry, uh, marriage equality, and that the government is involved because, I don't know how you could put it, the, the government is there because you have certain people who want to declare themselves as being married and that the current laws don't reflect that. However, does these two, these two separate views kind of show that um, questions about equality really beg the question? That is, well, why is the government involved in marriage in the first place? What is marriage in the first place? How exactly do these competing views demonstrate that today the equality question is taken for granted and that we have to kind of take a wider view of the marriage debate or the marriage question? Sure. I think it's a very good question. Claiming your side is the side of equality is very rhetorically powerful and persuasive. You immediately... Uh, bring in connotations of um, basically moving on and growing out of the oppressed way of um, blacks versus whites, anti-miscegenation laws and segregation, all that sort of thing. Not to mention the the very Christian idea of all being equal before God and, and St. Paul's understanding of neither slave nor Jew nor anything and this sort of equality. So, so the, it's been very effective as a tool. I think it's been particularly unhelpful in terms of the current debate of same-sex marriage. Uh, you're right, because it sort of begs the question. The, the way the question is posed in media outlets, by politicians, by other things, is basically there's this great thing called marriage that all of us agree is a great thing. Why would anyone be against allowing everyone to share equally in that great thing? Now, when you phrase it like that, it's very hard to see why anyone could be against that, right? You must either... And because they don't look too hard to figure out why people could be against it, well, they say, well, it must be some sort of religious fundamentalism or some bigotry or hateful or animus towards gay people. And then that's where you get the whole invocation of the um, uh, blacks not being able to marry whites and all that sort of thing and the, and the hate and animus to black people. And so you get the correlation and the very strong uh, sort of uh, anti-equality tag that people who oppose it. But I think you can quite clearly see that if, you know, that vision of marriage is actually the thing that's got to be questioned, the idea of that marriage is just about affection and adult romantic intimacy between any two people. Why two? You know, someone may ask. Um, then, uh, then that question starts to lose some of its, of its uh, power. Uh, you've then got to go into questions of, okay, well, what is marriage to, first to then know how we can equally apply that? So in that sense, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure all of us, um, even people who are against same-sex marriage, are in favour of marriage equality, understood as marriage being applied equally to all people, right, rightly understood of what marriage is. But to get that question, you've got to understand what marriage is first. You know, some people also move quickly from this thing, uh, from the equality principle to the idea that the current law discriminates against um, gay people or discriminates against other forms of relationships. Um, First thing to realize there is, um, you know, the buzzword discrimination never works well. So the moment anyone gets tags of discrimination, not a fun thing. But all law and a whole range of different topics, you know, discriminates in inverted commas. Basically, it creates distinctions. Uh, and those distinctions uh, have to be assessed about whether they're fair or unfair, just or unjust, reasonable or unreasonable. 
Um, and the only, and you know, you can just take any example like immigration, for example. There's now there's distinctions, discriminations against people when they go overseas for a holiday or for a work thing, when they return back, whether they're a resident of the country or whether they're an alien, right? They're not from the country. They're an international visitor. There's different lines. We treat them differently. We don't morally treat them differently in terms of their degree of dignity or anything. But you just recognise that there's different things there. Why do we do that? Well, for the good purposes of properly going through an immigration system, right? We have... Uh, schools for primary kids that only primary kids go to, right? And we, we have teachers that teach them at that level that you know, discriminate against teaching stuff that should be taught to a third-year med student. You know, so, so basically, the, you know, we make distinctions in, in the law and in social policy and in all aspects of our life all the time. The only question is whether the law does that fairly or unfairly. And the only way you can figure that out is whether the purpose of the law serves some good. So then you've got to think, okay, well, what's the purpose of the law about marriage and, and being, marriage being between a man and woman? Is there some genuine good that justifies and makes sense of why the government, and this creates, creates distinctions about its law? And I think for all the reasons that we've gone through before, there are a whole many range of good reasons why it's not unfairly an unjust uh, form of discrimination to understand marriage as being between a man and a woman. Hmm. I guess to sum up then, if you're, say, a politician or even just someone who you know, is, is sitting on the fence with this question or someone who's attempting to try and persuade someone um, either way on this, what do you think are the key principles that a person should consider? You know, we've talked about equality, um, we've talked about discrimination. What do you think are the key principles that, that people who are making decisions about this or even just people who are talking to their families about it should consider when it comes to marriage and this current debate? Well, I think there's a, a whole range of things that are probably different depending on who you're speaking to. You know, if you're speaking to a politician, um, there are going to be different things you're going to want to explain to a politician as opposed to um, a friend in your class, uh, a friend who identifies as gay or lesbian um, and really wants this. I think certainly there's got to be some level of, um, of understanding of, of why someone thinks what they think about marriage what they really understand about that. And that, that means you've got to listen to them. So you've got to really be able to sort of listen to what people say, what they understand marriage to be, why they think it's important. And then if they hold a particular view about marriage, let's say it's one that's heavily um, about the emotional intimacy of the couple, then just sort of posing some questions for them, not trying to criticise them or blow them out of the water, but just ask them, you know, well, is this vision of marriage, which, you know, you can quite easily see has been sort of constructed and evolved over the last 40 or 50 years through a whole range of legal, cultural things, contraception, unilateral no-fault divorce, assisted reproductive technologies that already basically breaks all these links between, in many people's minds, being something that's permanent, something that's um, only between two, something that's a really particular interest state or any connection to kids and family life. You know, will enshrining this view of marriage, this highly affection-based um, soulmate vision of marriage do the very thing that we've always thought marriage does which is hold people together for life towards family life uh, and, and, and maintain that for the well-being of, of the kids themselves for the family and for the, the common good and I think when you pose those questions about that particular understanding of marriage why it necessarily needs to be between two because obviously more than two people can be um, emotionally uh, committed to each other uh, why it needs to be permanent any more than just the feelings themselves um, uh, often aren't permanent. Uh, 
why you know sexual fidelity is, is somehow a part of that if if marriage hasn't really got anything to do particularly with sex and sex with kids and family you know it's sort of unclear and then really why we want the government just telling us basically which relationships um you know are, are validating and which ones are sort of uh, the one the only ones that we can be in you know, i think a real loss in this whole debate is because it basically makes marriage to be the be-all and end-all of relationships it's the capstone model um, then it really leaves very little room distinguishing it between a whole range of other friendships, um, friendships between men and men, men and women, whatever, um, that fill a really rich and human life. And that by focusing solely in on this sort of um, new, more recent vision of marriage, you really downplay uh, certainly the single life for, for people who are single for whatever reason, um, but certainly just the whole other rich range of relationships that are good and noble and beautiful and, and should be a part of any enriched life, even for people who are married and especially for people who are unmarried. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much, Patrick, for, for those final points and just for the interesting discussion. And do you have any resources or anything that people could look to um, to assist them in looking into this further? Yeah, sure. There's a few uh, great books that I'd really recommend people to read. I think understanding both sides of the issue is really important. And one of the best books that I've seen that uh, canvasses both sides is a book co-authored by Maggie Gallagher uh, from the National Organization for Marriage over in the States and John Corvino, a philosopher from Wayne State University. And both of them pen responses back to each other. Uh, It's called Debating Same-Sex Marriage. Uh, Another book is What is Marriage? Um, Co-authored by Robert P. George, uh, Sharif Gurgis, and Ryan T. Anderson, um, all connected with um, uh, to each other by writing this great book that was originally began as an article in the Harvard Journal of Law and Public Policy, um, and then was later expanded into a book called What is Marriage, Man and Woman, uh, a Defense. I think those are probably the two best books to start with, uh, and then from that you can branch out into a whole range of websites and articles. Public Discourse is an online journal of the Witherspoon Institute in the States, and they have a, a range of articles uh, dealing with marriage and family uh, and related issues as well, especially uh, dealing with the social science regarding parenting, um, same-sex parenting and its comparison with other other forms as well. So I think those are, are probably two good books to start. Uh, and yeah, you can't really go wrong. The best thing you can do is just really try and understand the issue more. To the extent that you understand the issue uh, better, I think your knowledge of it certainly increases, but your comfort and charity and goodwill and sense of confidence in being able to speak to other people uh, also increases. So it's not just a matter of loading it all up in your head and getting the best arguments, but also, you know, really praying and asking for wisdom and prudence in knowing how to speak about this very difficult issue. Um, because for a lot of us, you know, this it's easy to talk about two visions and two models, but for many of us, our own expectations and understanding of marriage have been shaped by our own experiences in family life, uh, and in the lives of our close friends and others. And that's what makes this, for many of us, a very sensitive issue um, because it really it hits close to home. So I think having some sense of understanding of you know, having a solidarity with those who've had very difficult family lives and very different experiences, you know, uh, that that's caught up in a lot of the reasons why we understand marriage to be the way that is today. So having some sense of of compassion uh, and understanding of the issues and how they affect people in their lives can help us then speak about that well with those whom we disagree in a search for finding the truth. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Patrick. Thank you. It's great to be on the show. 
That was an interview with Patrick Langrell on What is Marriage? And for more interviews, talks and shows, visit cradio.org.au.